Hello everyone and welcome back to Girls Guide to the Galaxy. Today I am joined by Chloe Brotheridge and we are in London. So I've actually flown back from LA um, and I just cycled here to her offices and I'm very excited to be speaking with her and I think you all are going to enjoy what we're talking about today because it seems to be a subject that a lot of you have um, commented on our Instagram page and sent me messages about and it's um, it's quite a general topic I think in a way but it's definitely poignant at the moment with social media and everything and today we're going to be discussing anxiety and how to deal with it. Chloe is an author of the book called The Anxiety Solution and she's also, I mean do you want to say a little bit about yourself? Yeah, yeah, so I'm a I'm a hypnotherapist and an anxiety expert and yeah I wrote this book The Anxiety Solution and it's just a very practical book about you know how to get a handle on your anxiety and I wrote it specifically for young women there aren't any other books really that are written so perfect for this yeah, podcast. Yeah, basically. It's basically. also a very, very pretty book. Yeah, <laughs> I say. It is. It I, is. I saw it, it on is. Amazon and I was like, it looks so pretty. I want it. <laughs> um, it kind of reminds me of an ice cream, like a yeah, yeah sort of ice cream. Did you have to design it like that? Well, my website has kind of the pink and the blue, Plastic. and I was like, we've got to have some gold on there. Like, I'm all about the gold. <laughs> okay, so. And people come to you because, you know, they're suffering from anxiety and you help them cope with that, really. Because I, I, I mean, I think that I occasionally suffer from anxiety. But then, like I, I kind of said to you earlier, it's like I don't actually know. I think it can stretch in like many different forms and can be very extreme. And sort of I have friends that say that they suffer from panic attacks and stuff. Mm. And it starts with anxiety and then sort of spirals out of control. I don't think I've ever had a full-blown panic attack. But I do definitely feel a lot more anxious in the last couple of years than I ever have before. Mm. And I'm pretty sure I can stem that to the fact that we are constantly exposed 24-7 to all these things that, I mean, we shouldn't really see. And I don't think our brains know how to really process all this mm. stuff. And like, you know, lo looking through Instagram before we go to bed and like first thing in the morning and you just see all these like perfect lives and perfect bodies and it, all this stuff and it's just impossible to to digest and you constantly feel like you're not living a very exciting life or yeah. you're not yeah. succeeding in what you're trying to do and that then creates this anxiousness that kind of um can get out of control I think. yeah yeah and I think that's probably the sort of anxiety that most people can relate to to some extent that pressure and the sense of not being able to switch off and all the things that are so overwhelming mm. but I suppose it's you know you mentioned about kind of not knowing whether or not you have anxiety you know mm. we all have mental health in the same way that we all have physical health and it's on a continuum so then you know you're somewhere on this continuum of your mental health and at different times in your life or different times in the day you might be at different points along that continuum um, but with something anxiety you know it is actually a mental health issue and it's yeah. something that people should speak to their doctors about and get properly diagnosed. And they do have a, a kind of a diagnostic criteria, basically, that will diagnose you. Do you think, on certain things. to touch on the mental health thing, do you think that there's going to be a sort of movement that's happening at the moment where I, I feel it's happening that people for the first time are addressing their mental health in the, in the same way they do their physical? Because I think it used to just be something that was slightly taboo to talk about and you only went and saw something, someone for it if there was something quite like sinister going on. Mm -hmm. Whereas now, I feel like people are realising that, you know, holistically and everything, it's all connected and that how your mental health affects your physical health and 
so many things that happen to us physically are because of what's going on in our minds and everything. So I, I think that there is more an open-mindedness towards approaching mental health and, and that people should regularly see people to make sure, you know, everything upstairs is going, going okay. It's so important, isn't it? I think we're, we're sometimes reluctant to get help for that. You know, if you... Well, until something's really wrong. you sprained your ankle or something, you'd, you know, maybe go and get some medical help or you've broken your arm or something. But, you know, if you're really suffering mentally, loads of us just struggle on. And, yeah. and actually young men, it, you mm. know, a lot more than... Um, anyone else seem to like yeah. men in their late 20s and stuff that yeah. you know, are suffering from depression and stuff and just don't want to talk about it and then you know not talking about things just makes them grow and grow and grow I mean I must say living in America they are a bit more you know you go to your therapist and like everyone has one yeah. whereas I think the English are a bit more just get on with things mm, mm, mm. so um, you've written down some questions so I think essentially we're going to approach this like yeah. I am one of your patients today. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which I may live to regret. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Yeah, so is it something that... So just from your experience, because I know having listened to your other podcasts and things, you've been amazingly honest about your experiences. And I think one of the things when I speak to people is they, they really want to know about other people's experiences because mm. it, it's that thing of not feeling alone, I think. Mm. And knowing that you know you're not the the only one that worries about those things or you know you're not crazy you're just a human being and actually so many of us struggle with those sorts of things so I think it's so important to to be open about those yeah struggles. Like, I think I guess from being in the public eye a bit like a few years ago that there was you know perception that's put out there and definitely impressed and everything and the sort of filtered down version of things that's mm. projected and then also with social media that does exactly the same thing into to a more extreme version, I guess, as well. And I, I kind of started to become frustrated because I was like, I don't want to present myself in this one-dimensional way to everyone. Like all these, you know, as human beings, we are multifaceted and we have all these layers and some of them aren't perfect and some of them are flawed. And I think it's a beautiful thing to be able to be honest with that and just mm. to be confident with it. And, you know, if that can like help some young girls, which I know you know, being a young girl is, or a young woman is a mm. difficult thing. You go through so many changes and everything. So to try and, you know, find something that helps unify these issues a bit. Yeah. So honesty. Yeah. Honesty. honesty. I think, yeah, but I suppose people listening to sort of know that it's okay to speak to other people about how they're feeling. And, you know, I think that I was reading something the other day about people speaking to their workplaces and, you know, telling your friends how you're feeling and seeing what kind of support is out there, even that's really scary to do. You know, there is often support that's offered, you know, counselling and things through workplaces. So, you know, and sometimes just letting people know that you're struggling with something just takes a bit of the pressure off. Totally. And get support. Yeah. I feel like I literally talk to anyone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyone, no, anyone that will listen, sometimes I walk away and like, I shouldn't have told that person everything about my life. Um, do you find it cathartic to, to talk about it? What do you... Yeah, I do. Mm. I do find it cathartic. I mean, it also just helps make sense of stuff that's going on. But I get, there's always, you know, another end of the extreme where it can become... You don't want to become, like, too in your own head. Mm. Mm. But it's just, like, noticing patterns. And, like, I think at the... 
with what I'm trying to do, um, and with and you know, you mentioned this earlier about a fear of failure thing. I'm having to like tackle a lot of my own demons at the moment, and there's a lot of things that I notice that I do um, that are sometimes hard to see coming. Mm. That makes sense. Mm. And like I, the other po- uh, podcast that we did, which was on self sabotage and things like that. So it's just and the self critic that is constantly in my own mind and knowing like what makes it worse or what makes it quieter mm. and and it's having that self-awareness I think that helps quite a lot absolutely so recognizing when that that voice is chirping up with its opinions about yeah you know, and being like no <laughs> I can hear you but no yeah. because also it was, I wasn't able to distinguish between that and myself mm. so I thought that was myself so mm. that voice that you know, and what, you know, if I, like, if, if ever I drink alcohol, that seems to make it worse. Okay, yeah, yeah. Like, a lot worse. Yeah. And it's to do with that, an association between alcohol and guilt, and then, like, spiralling out of control. So even if I had, like, a few glasses of wine, I'd wake up and that voice would be, you know, shaking its mm-hmm. finger in my head, and, and then would say, oh, well, if you're going to do that, and then you won't be able to do this, and your voice will suffer, so you won't be able to sing properly, and, like, it would just get out of control and I thought that that was me talking to me but actually it's not mm. and that I think for a lot of people listening will be like well who the hell is it then yeah. <laughs> but it's that you're you are not your mind basically yeah and your thoughts are not facts I think sometimes these thoughts kind of seem to bubble up into our minds and we believe them and we take them really seriously yeah. thoughts like oh I'm not good enough or if I fail at this I'll never make anything of my life or something yeah. or if you try doing this this might happen therefore you shouldn't do it yeah. you know, like conc- my mind can conclude on every hypothetical situation so then I won't like do it because it'll be like well that might happen if you do that and that might happen mm. if you do that and then it kind of stops you whereas the thing you actually should be listening to is your intuition yes and yeah. your gut yeah but yeah. of course there's no that doesn't know what's going to happen but it's it's more of a feeling which is sometimes harder to go on but mm. it it shouldn't be we should trust that more yeah yeah but one of the things i talk about in my book is trying to distinguish between fear and your intuition mm. sometimes fear will be saying don't do this you know and don't you think it's intuition. don't take that step don't kind of get into that relationship don't do this and you think oh is this intuition or is this just the the yeah. fear that's trying to protect me yeah exactly yeah because I think yeah over the last couple of years I've switched from and I think as children we naturally are far more intuitive and like you see the way toddlers are just kind of throwing themselves into things and and running around they don't have that fear Mm. and we learn it as we get older and then that when that becomes a driving force into things it's it's horror it's a bad you know you can't be driven by fear but I definitely feel like I am a lot of the time yeah so it's like you said being able to distinguish and actually really sit with things and go okay is this because I'm afraid or because like my gut's telling me it's wrong yeah exactly and how how do you distinguish between the two so for me it's about just trying to take care of myself as much as possible and you know when it comes to making decisions and things like that you know, I think what we often think that the more we analyse something, the more we think about something, you know, then we'll get to this kind of perfect solution or perfect decision. But actually, you know, sometimes that gut, that gut kind of intuition, that first thought that you have about something is the right the right thing for you. And sometimes it's about going with that rather than kind of 
overanalyzing, overanalyzing and things and you know it's just the the stuff that you've you've been talking about you know meditation exercising getting out in nature that helps you to tune into your intuition totally I think and you know do you think that the things that we're sort of especially in a city sort of lifestyle that we're constantly flooded by and being on our computers and our phones that that takes away from our intuition I think it's information overload isn't it and you can't when you're constantly being bombarded with things it's also quite I think it's you know with the news I had to turn off suddenly my phone the other day decided it was going to bring up news stories and you know and as a kind of alert every now and again I didn't ask it to do that so I had to turn off the notifications but you know every now and again you're being reminded of the horrible things that are happening in the world and you know obviously we need to be aware of what's happening but to be kind of have those kind of fearful messages constantly pinging off on your phone it's probably not going to put you in a very intuitive state and you can it's strange as well because you can find out anything about anything you want at any time but it's just like it's almost too much because mm. you're caught co- I find myself constantly going from one thing to the next and then I forget what I was actually like trying to find out about to begin with so it's almost like we have too much information of too little so it's about mm. I think being mm. really like streamlined and and stick to your lane in a way yeah absolutely because even yeah. you could apply that sort of fear intuition thing with with career and everything because it's like you see all this stuff and all these people doing all these things so you think oh maybe I should follow that path Mm, mm. but you're just doing it because you've been overloaded with this information and you're constantly seeing it yeah it may not be what you're actually supposed to be doing definitely yeah yeah I think often I see I've seen quite a few clients come to me and say I've been using my phone as a way to kind of numb myself or to escape from having to deal with feelings or well, you know, it's, it's the so same thing. It's do, the same it? thing. It releases the same like, chemicals as alcohol mm. or gambling and stuff. Mm. Mm. It's just terrifying. You get that dopamine hit, don't you? Like, reward. And everyone's just walking around like a zombie. Mm. It, mm. So yeah, I think it is an escapism. Yeah. And as human beings, we seem to crave an escapism. Yeah. Which definitely. is an interesting concept in itself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, d- I definitely have always, you know, wanted to escape. I think all of us do a little yeah, bit. Yeah, definitely. We use because I I started having anxiety from about the age of fifteen, and it was probably started having panic attacks when I discovered alcohol and had a horrific hangover. And this is a really common trigger for people's anxieties. And well, yeah. you sort of mentioned, and yeah. if you when you're really hungover, your body feels really weird. And you think, well, that's the only time with me. Yeah, you that's the only time when I actually, if I been probably quite near a panic attack. Yeah, it's also yeah, like yeah. sleep deprivation on top mm. of that and everything, mm. and you just put stuff in your system that is not sitting well with you and your mind just goes into different pockets of places that it's never yeah. been before like, yeah. no come back yeah, yeah, yeah so i think we'll use alcohol to try and calm anxiety so if you're going into a social situation and you've got social anxiety we'll use alcohol then but also it creates a lot of anxiety mm. you know what did i say what did i do you know how much money have i spent yeah and it's a I bit know, of a vicious like, cycle it is because it's the sort of solution and the problem all in mm. one. Mm. I mean, it's it's such a, an acceptable social lubricant, alcohol, but it's actually a quite st- a strange thing, especially at the Brits. I know. I think <laughs> like yeah. aggressive drink. <laughs> Even when I got off the plane and went straight to my brother's thirtieth, I was like, oh, 
my god, I forgot how hardcore everyone is here. Aggressive drinkers, and like <laughs> we are aggressive but, drinkers, yeah, and we're proud of it, which is fine. Mm. You know, it's that like pub culture, but you know, you do have to be aware, like individually, how it affects you. Yeah, yeah. Because um, I don't yeah. think people necessarily because it is so accepted, people probably don't realise mm. that that might be the cause their issues. Yeah, yeah. Well, sometimes it's. I remember I gave up alcohol a while ago, and I remember colleagues that I was working with at the time just didn't understand they sort of they were just like oh do you not like you don't like having fun or you're yeah. really boring or something. it's just so annoying yeah the way people live. and yeah, also yeah. I think people get very self-conscious because exactly. I I pretty much stopped drinking in LA for like the same probably the same reasons mm. as you and because it was like with what I'm trying to do that that negative voice in my head every time I drank would just be in overload so I was like you know what I'm just going to cut this out and for my health and everything and because I'm quite an, an extreme person in my emotions and the you know when I'm happy I'm super happy but when I'm low I get very low too mm. and that was just making that more extreme but then coming back to England it's like it's very very difficult because of you know a social scene that I've been brought up in mm. and like friendship groups and everything that you know old habits kind of die hard and and I think a lot of people would find it very difficult to just know give up something even if they know it may be a bad for them yeah but because they don't want to you know stand out in a way that people mm. are gonna point mm. at them and go oh you're boring now yeah yeah so yeah. How, what would your advice be on dealing with so that my advice you've got to get friends that are new friends everyone <laughs> new friends and been them new friends <laughs> Like, yeah, do things like going for brunches instead of going out for dinner, just easier situations oh. where there's less likely to be alcohol. And maybe just saying to yourself, right, I'm just going to cut it out for two weeks and see how it is. Don't kind of say, oh, I'm never drinking again. So you know how that always ends. Well, yeah, when I always do things like that and then you set yourself these expectations that you're inevitably going to fail mm. at and then you get annoyed at yourself when you do. And probably when you do, you know, mess up, the downfall is more extreme because you've mm. set yourself this unrealistic expectation exactly yeah and then you feel disappointed with yourself and then drink even more so yeah I mean just maybe saying right for two weeks I'm, not, I'm gonna do an experiment on myself and I'm gonna notice how it makes me feel and if it's so worth it for you if it completely transforms things for you then that might give you the motivation Literally. to do it for a month or something yeah. or six weeks that's kind of what happened to me but I've got some friends that did it and they're like I don't feel any different Okay, yeah. Which exactly. is interesting. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. it's like, you know, each to their own. Exactly. Yeah, just different. trial and error. Mm, mm, yeah. Okay, so what else have we got on the list? So, 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 so. So there's something about priorities that I think is really important and kind of thinking about what our priorities are in life um, and what we make the most important because I think so often from people that I speak to, and I know this is the same for me kind of a few years ago, we, we make something like success or you know getting that promotion or looking a certain way we make mm. that our goal and our priority and we're like right I'm going to go for that we stress ourselves out trying to reach that goal we kind of ruin other areas of our life because we're just going for that and actually when we you know when we reach that goal weight or we get that promotion or whatever it doesn't actually feel as good as we think it's going to feel so then you, the goal push just gets further away and yeah. you're like okay I'll get thinner or I'll get more money or I'll get a next promotion it's like it's, yeah, you're constantly chasing it. Mm -hmm. I've been thinking about this a lot, and especially living in America, because it is a place of, it's quite, well, LA can be quite materialistic. Sure. And there's a lot of stuff, and there's a lot of, like, 
chasing fame and, and wanting to look a certain way. And it made me think about the sort of relativity of happiness. And like, mm. essentially, that's what we're all wanting. We all universally want to be happy. Mm. But I think we've been told through the media and everything that certain, buying certain things or looking a certain way will give us that feeling, which is, of course, not, not true. Exactly, yeah. And you just yeah. get on this sort of hedonic treadmill of like, wanting more and more and more and you because have you ever seen that documentary called happy oh i haven't sounds it's really like good sort of thing, and though. they touch on this thing about a hedonic treadmill that's like if you have i think it's if you have like ten thousand in the bank or like a hundred thousand like it doesn't make a huge amount of difference to your happiness right. yeah but it's yeah. just because you then you get a bigger house whatever and then all the things that come with that bigger house are just still problems and then you like get an even bigger house make more money so it doesn't it's just a cycle that continues yeah like the rat race and kind of yeah yeah and there's a lot of people i noticed that in los angeles have all this stuff but they seem like the most unhappy people i've ever met mm. sometimes mm. so i'm kind of like okay well what is it that is going to give us that true feeling yeah of yeah. you know bliss and for me, I mean, I'd love to hear your thoughts about it because you brought it up and it's something that I do think about a lot. But for me, it's like moments of, it sounds silly, but when I'm in nature or when I'm just, even like cycling here today mm. and I was just cycling through in the rain and like went past like the London Eye and everything like that. And I was like, I just felt happy because, and it's just the simple things, do you know what I mean? Absolutely, yeah. Not the big things mm. a lot mm. of the time. And it's really that feeling of just feeling quite content within yourself. Yeah, and, sl- and slowing down enough to appreciate those little moments. Because if you're rushing towards, you know, stuff sort of achievements, I, I think this thing of kind of needing to achieve stuff and needing to, you know, and I, probably about four years ago, I, I, um, I came across this quote and it was, um, make peace of mind your priority and organise your life around it. Mm. I was like, oh my gosh, this is what I need to do. I need to actually, because that's how I want to feel. I want to have that sense of well-being and you know, peace of mind when you're just in the moment and you're kind of enjoying your life. And actually, I wasn't really organising my life around that. I was organising my life around work and kind of trying to reach certain achievements in terms of work. And actually, so I, I decided to sort of organise my life a bit differently and sort of think, right, I'm going to... How did you organise things differently? So at the time, I was working two jobs. I was literally working like day and night. Um, so I actually quit one of my jobs. I know it's not what everyone can do. And I did obviously meant I made less money. Um, but that was kind of okay because I was less miserable and anxious. Um, and just doing things like actually saying, because I think before I was like, oh, no, I can't take a lunch break. I haven't got time to, to do this. I was like, no, this is literally the most important thing. My mental well-being and having that sense of peace of mind is my priority. So I'm going to you know, make sure I'm meditating in the morning and, you know, getting out at lunchtime. And it's can be really simple, things like that. Um, so, yeah, that's what, I, that's what I did. And what do you think that cause peace of mind, as a sort of notion, is an interesting one, but what do you think mm. that feeling is? Mm, mm. Sort of well-being, connectedness. I suppose you could think of a few words. I don't know if you've read um, The Desire Map by Danielle Laporte. No. But she is all about thinking about how do how do I want to feel and she takes you through this whole workbook to get you to think about the words that you would use to describe how you want to feel so it might be connected it might be loving it might be you know relaxed it might be you know excited or something and 
you know, you really focus on these words and you kind of have them in your mind every day when you're planning your day, when you're planning what your goals are going to be. And you're asking yourself, is this kind of thing going to make me feel excited and loved and connected and, and that sort of thing? So so I guess if, uh, something for our listeners would be to write down, write down peace of mind and then write down the words that they want to associate with that. Because I guess for anyone, it might be slightly different. Like for me, it's this... It's a kind of feeling of feeling elevated that's like everything sort of lifts and becomes like a bit tingly. Yeah. yeah <laughs> I like that. So it's almost like, I guess it's a natural endorphin that kind of goes and you almost, sometimes, sometimes people think I'm drunk when I'm like that, but I'm actually completely sober. <laughs> but it's like, yeah, it's like this sort of childishness that comes over you and you're and you become more instinctive and impulsive and you're just like freer and more in the moment and that's something that I know when I'm in that state I'm at my happiness happiest and I'm not obsessing about the past that's trapping me or you know obsessing about the future that doesn't even exist Mm -hmm. I'm just kind of where I am right now yeah yeah so perhaps for people listening it's about thinking about you know, how do you want to feel? How do you want to feel? And how can you basically said that I want to feel drunk all the time? <laughs> high on life. No, high on life, exactly. <laughs> okay. Um, what else? So, <clears throat> so maybe something about worries and kind of overthinking. I think that is mm. probably most people, if they're listening to something about anxiety, they probably can relate to worrying, overthinking, ruminating, you know, those sorts of things. But I guess that's the catalyst of anxiety, isn't it? You have one thought in your head that comes in and then you just sort of nourish it into this big beast and Mm. then the anxiety kind of takes over. Yeah, yeah. I think I've become a warrior. I got it from... My mum's a bit of a warrior as well, I think, Mm. a brave worry. How do you stop worrying? It's like saying stopping thinking. Yeah, well, I think the thing is that you can't actually stop those automatic thoughts that come into your mind but you can be more mindful of them yeah so if you're you know if you're in the moment then you're aware if that thought comes up oh what if what if I don't get the job or something you know you're aware of that thought coming up and you can make a decision to kind of leave that thought be rather than kind of chasing it and nourishing it as you say and kind Mm. of going down the rabbit hole with that that worry so you know, being more mindful. I know it's easier said than done, and mindfulness is not the easiest thing to do, and it's something that takes practice, basically. Yeah, I some, what was I was um reading was either the Power of Now or I can't remember one of those sorts of books, yeah. and it was saying about watching the thought, and it get, basically gave this because sometimes it is hard to do because then you don't notice it coming in, and then before you know it, it has kind of spiraled a little bit. Mm. And then you've already got the feelings associated with that happening and yeah. then it's harder to stop. Which it, And he said to do something, which I have been doing quite a lot, and it's like, it's if you're a cat watching a mouse hole and whatever comes out of the mouse hole is the, like negative thought. And if you just actually watch it, nothing comes out for a really long time. <laughs> and it's one of the only things I found to work because otherwise, yeah. like having a stillness of mind, I'm a very visual person, so like to be able to just empty your mind, it's like that takes so much concentration for me mm-hmm. and I can't really do it. Whereas having something like as if I'm watching like a hole in the wall and that whatever comes out is a thought, if you actually focus on it, it's like nothing comes. Yeah, I love that. I'm going to have that in my mind forever now. <laughs> 
<laughs> watching that whole. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And you know, sometimes I, I say things like, "Oh, I'm noticing that I'm having this thought about work, or I'm noticing that I'm worried about going to that wedding." And whenever you say, "I'm noticing that I'm having this," or you could even sometimes people say, you know, do it in the third person. So. Chloe is worrying about the wedding next week yeah. or something. And it just causes you to take a step back from it and recognise that you are not actually the thought. You're the person that's watching the thought, mm. actually. The real you is the awareness behind those thoughts. So sometimes it can be helpful to, to do that. I think I got better acknowledging that in terms of, I guess, like work things or whatever. But I think when it's wrapped, when that mind or voice is wrapped up with your um what you look like and how all that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. it's hard to disassociate does that make sense which kind of brings us onto the subject of you know perfection and wanting to look a certain way and be a certain way because I have a lot in my mind and I've had it for as long as I can remember and I really got to a point now where I'm kind of like fed up of it but it's like Mm. no you can't go out and see that person do that thing until you look a certain way yeah and it's and it goes hand in hand with putting that goal post by the way it's like well you can shoot that music video when you like lose a certain amount of weight or you look like this when you and it means that everything's just pushed back that you're pushing life back and it's that thing of of fear really Yeah, yeah um and that's something that i find hard to be to know that it's just a uh a critic and just a voice because it feels so personal because it's about my appearance mm, yeah I think I think that's just incredibly common I think it's do you know Brene Brown she wrote a book um she did a really famous TED talk about vulnerability and it's one of the most watched TED talks ever really? apparently and she did some research into body shame and she, she found that 90% of women have experienced shame about their appearance and their bodies so mm. you know that's the majority of women really have hated their bodies worried about their appearance so it's almost a universal pretty much thing everyone like every girl yeah. I know like does even the ones with the most perfect bodies and I don't know why I don't think men are like that no I don't think so I think they get, <laughs> actually they're getting worse I think it's starting to become something that affects men more but it's definitely it's us women but I, that yeah women have always been sexualized more and I think the, the women's figures are naturally more you know worshipped in a way mm, so I think it mm. puts this pressure on our yeah. identity being wrapped up in in the way we look yeah yeah and because you know, the reality is this world is like yes we're progressing in so many ways but there's still sexism and there's still you know I notice that the way I'm like the value of me as a singer or whatever like does rest on my looks and my age and everything I'm like for, for a man it wouldn't be like that absolutely yeah you know they're given a longer shelf life and they're more supported by one another and given opportunities whereas I feel like women are kind of often not yeah and so it probably all fuels that idea that we we feel like we're not good enough Mm. and I think that idea of perfectionism that you mentioned is so key I think for young women I think yeah again it's the thing that just affects so many people and people don't even necessarily realize that it is perfectionism but whenever you're setting those incredibly high standards for yourself and when it whenever it never feels like it's good enough even if you've got model good looks and you're a size six or whatever and you still never feel good enough then it's that kind of pressure that perfectionism that so many because you don't have you never you never ever do Mm -hmm. and I think that's the, the issue with like 
eating disorders and stuff, what happens is it starts with something like this and then you start chasing it and you get to that, you lose X amount or whatever and then the goalpost gets further away and mm. then it becomes more and more dangerous. And then your how you see yourself becomes even more distorted and you get like body dysmorphia and yeah. that's why they say when women get very ill and as in with eating disorders and get very very thin they they see themselves as huge sometimes mm -hmm. and that's terrifying mm -hmm. so it's like very tricky to try and counteract that cycle do you know what I mean yeah 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 and I'm often when I'm working with clients I do something with them where I ask them to imagine that they can see themselves through the eyes of their best friend or their partner or their mum because you know when we look at our best friends whenever we just think they're gorgeous and amazing and they may as well be perfect because they're I mean we still see their flaws but to us they feel you know we wouldn't change them um so if we can start to sort of imagine how our friends see us and actually realize that yeah, those imperfections aren't really doesn't make any difference at yeah. all really and actually it's just part of what makes you who you are and the kind of unique person that you are yeah um I did, because also I mentioned on another podcast that a yoga teacher said before our class, she was like, if your best friend spoke to you the way you speak to yourself, would you be friends with them? And I was like, no. <laughs> and so that's another thing. Of, mm. you know, mm. Also, I find quite useful is looking at yourself from a younger self perspective. I guess it totally depends on who you were as a younger self. Mm. But I was like very underconfident and introverted like when I was much, much younger. So it's like to show that me who I am now mm -hmm. I think that would give her a lot of courage but it's when you just get caught up in the day-to-day -day really isn't it that you just start like obsessing over the things that don't really matter yeah yeah definitely definitely and I think a lot of us have this belief that if we're really hard on ourselves then it'll motivate us you know if I mm. tell myself how fat I am 10 times a day then it'll make me feel really motivated to lose weight or go on a diet or whatever it is but actually you know nothing saps motivation like being mean to yourself nothing's going to make you want to sit on the on the sofa and, and eat, eat ice, cream. ice cream than yeah, yeah being being mean to yourself so so how what would your advice be on kind of avoiding that cycle mm, mm. so yeah just first of all remembering that it's not helpful it's not motivating and actually kindness and being nice to yourself and taking care of yourself is actually the most motivating thing. And I mean, they've even shown this in studies. I think there's a study um, done on students and they were told either be really you know, critical of yourself or be really kind to yourself. And actually the students that were kind to themselves studied much harder, they were more motivated, they got better exam results. So, you know, it can, it is actually something that does work. It's not just an airy-fairy kind of be nice to yourself. Yeah, and I think also to be more... What do you think about, yeah, like mindful of, um, of like what you're, like what you're telling yourself on a daily basis? Mm. So yeah, mm. being being kind and sending yourself, rather than I guess reversing those negative messages of you're not good enough, you need to lose X amount of weight, or like you can't do this until you've done that. Be like I don't know, say I guess the opposite because your mind yeah. is so powerful. Yeah, and then being as well intuitive with like what you're giving your body rather than it being a, a punishment of neglect or you know a thing of guilt just being like okay this is what I'm craving right now this is what I need because mm -hmm. I think there's such a disassociation between like our minds and our bodies and and what we're feeding ourselves do you know what I mean definitely yeah yeah like we're using 
we use alcohol as like a, a medicine and we're using food as like a deprivation or or punishment. Do you know what mm-hmm. I mean? It's just, mm-hmm. it's so strange because, you know, if you want water, like, if you're thirsty, you just drink water and it should yeah. be as yeah. organic and as natural as that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I often talk about, even if you don't feel as if you love yourself, you know, act as if you did and ask yourself, right, if I love myself, how would I be eating today? And maybe that does mean, you know, you're having a chocolate bar. Maybe it means you're going to cook yourself a really sort of nice meal with loads of fresh ingredients and kind of taking that action, even if you don't believe it, kind mm. of subconsciously, you're taking that action. Because actually when we when we take action, that's the best way to send yourself a message about something yeah. and create a new belief, you know, when we're taking that action. And yeah, um, yeah just about kind of, you know, you mentioned kind of answering back. I was say, so, you know, answer back to those thoughts. You know, don't let them just run riot, you know, and actually write it down. Because when we write it down, it's such a more powerful way of kind of yeah getting you to take on board a belief than just telling yourself so think about what would your best friend say about that that worried thought or I like to think about what Michelle Obama would say I always think she'd just give really good advice she's really smart <laughs> she's really kind I think what would Michelle Obama say in this situation she'd be she'd have that. like a really rational <laughs> perspective <laughs> what about sort of ways to boost confidence I think a lot often anxiety and confidence are so closely linked and if you feel a sense of trust for yourself if you know that actually you've I think sometimes it's about reflecting back on the times that you have actually overcome difficulties and you have handled things because so much of anxiety it's about we project into the future and we're imagining that things are going to go wrong and we won't be able to handle it and actually sometimes never happens yeah it doesn't happen sometimes yeah. we have to prove to ourselves I, we can do those I things I think it's like pretty much anything I have to do in a day like I'll get Obviously, once I've been doing it for a lot of time, but anything that's relatively new, I'll wake up with, like, an anxiety about it, about how it may go. Like, even, like, today, I mm. feel, like, a bit, like, this nervousness. And, like, yeah, I won't sleep as well as I would otherwise. And then, obviously, like, every time, it's always amazing. Mm. Mm-hmm. So I don't know why. I guess it's just a fear of the unknown. Exactly, yeah. And I think we all have this. Well, not all of us, but if you're of the anxious persuasion then we want to control things we want to know we want assurance that it's going to be all right we need to know we need that certainty and actually life is uncertain like nothing is doesn't matter how much you procrastinate about things like it's still Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I know this is something I'm having to come to terms with but it is you know I think just that voice says it's a scary world therefore I'm going to protect you by worrying about everything Mm -hmm. but it actually Mm -hmm. is completely counterproductive yeah yeah the same <laughs> so how do we sort of stop that um well you said boosting confidence okay yeah so yeah boosting confidence and so I have this saying this is what I have to tell myself um as well often fear shrinks when we walk towards it interesting so often like anxiety makes us want to hide away or hold back or it tells us it's not safe to take that leap and speak up or do do that thing that you want to do. But actually, when we do move towards the things we're afraid of, whatever it is, whether it's, you know, starting a business or, you know, going to start speaking in public or going to a party that, you know, you're anxious about. Um, that is on it. That's like the most true thing ever, because mm. because also what happens, I think, and I've got friends that suffer from you know, extreme forms of 
OCD and anxiety and stuff like that. And if you if you allow if you give into the fear, like say it's a social fear and you don't like going to parties and you don't like change and like the more you don't do it, the bigger that fear gets and the more you're like, oh no, you shouldn't do that. Yeah. And then you kind of get stuck in this rut. So it's basically like confronting that fear and heading straight for it, which is a scary mm-hmm. thing in itself. Definitely, yeah, yeah. And yeah, whenever you hold yourself back, it's almost as if you're you're affirming to yourself, that is dangerous. Parties are dangerous. We do need to avoid them. But when you go and into then, that situation, yeah. you're you're sort of retraining your amygdala. So the amygdala is the part of your brain that's creating the, the fight or flight response. You're retraining it to learn that actually it's not dangerous. You know, you can go to a party and you're not going to die. Because that's what it sometimes feels like when you have that level yeah. of anxiety. Well, I have it, I guess, with with singing and performing and that I sat like at some point before a show like ages ago I just was like I'm, no it's a voice in my head was like I'm too scared I'm not going to do it and I didn't and then I haven't done it since and now I have it in my head that I'm I actually convinced myself that I didn't even want to sing or do it at all mm-hmm. I was like actually I don't think it's like what I want to do it's not right for me but again it was like that being able to distinguish between the fear mm-hmm. And the intuition, I'm like, is that my fear telling me that? Or is it actually because I, I don't want to and it's not what I'm supposed to be doing? Yeah. And it is really just fear-based, but it, it because I feel so vulnerable. But it, I know in the past that has been the most rewarding experiences too. Mm-hmm. So it's like for me trying to conquer that is yeah. quite a big thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and for people listening, you know, doing it step by step if you can. So... You know, is there a small step that you can take towards overcoming your anxiety or a certain situation that you're afraid of? So instead of, I don't know, I was working with somebody that had a fear of heights and, you know, she just went up one level in a lift and then went back down and that was her kind of challenge for the day. And then the day after she went up two levels and kind of built up from there and did it step by step. Um, yeah. Rather than So baby steps. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And being kind to yourself, no matter how it goes, as well, I think. Yeah. That's the challenging well, that's bit. that's the thing, because you're like, well, I think there's something definitely in my voice that's like, well, if you're going to do that, it has to go this way. Otherwise, you're not doing it. Mm-hmm. And you set yourself this, like, tight parameter that's basically has no room for error. And then, of course, it's it's difficult to execute, because someone in your head has been like, unless it's absolutely perfect, you're not doing it. Yeah, or that that fear of failure coming in again. Like, you know, it's yeah, it's either a success or it's a complete disaster, and um, that way of thinking about things in a really black and white way that often yeah. we do with with anxiety. It's kind of well, one, how, one thing or another. How do we take away that sort of fear of failure? How do we replace really that word mm. failure? Mm. Yeah. Well, lots of us have grown up not really experiencing failure. There's something about millennial women so women that are born in the kind of the 80s and 90s basically you're a millennial um and we were slightly more overprotected by our parents than other generations so our parents more likely to go with us on the first day of school and stay stay with us or more likely to intervene or you know checking up us all the time and we don't learn that actually you can fail and it's not that big of a deal because we're kind of protected from failure Mm. So a lot of us have a big fear of failure because we've never really experienced failure because maybe mum and dad have been there to kind of, you know, catch us if we fall. Um, I think it's learning that actually <coughs> failure is inevitable. It's completely part of life. A part of life. And 
it's a part of learning and it's just about progress you're always making progress even if you know on a particular day something doesn't go well you're going to have learned something from that experience and you know it all is all about learning and you know the more mistakes you make the more you learn so trying to trying to sort of get that idea into your mind sort of reprogramming that ourselves yeah. yeah 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 so there's something about I don't know beliefs from the past that kind of come up things that we take on board like our programming mm. I think you know especially when we're especially when we're quite young, we're like sponges, we just absorb everything that we're told. And, you know, it might be a comment that teacher made at school. It might be that, you know, you hear your mum worrying about things and you take on board this idea that, oh, it's good to worry. You kind of need to worry in order to be safe or, you know, your, I don't know, people happening with their parents arguing and you kind of feel unsafe or insecure, life feels uncertain and you kind of take on board that belief. Well, it goes hand in hand with what I said about, you know, children just being fearless going into things because they don't have the shackles of the past that's dictating their future. And I feel that so much of my uncertainties going forward is like, and it could be a very small thing that would have happened in the past, but a very sensitive person, I know that I harbour all those things. Mm. So it's really like releasing yourself from, from that sort of prison, but it's very hard to do because, again, it's like the mind stores that as a way of protecting from that happening again yeah but of course like if you try and live like that the only way is to basically lock yourself in a room Mm, and 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 be (laughs) and stale you know that feeling of not actually living or evolving in any way Mm. so that is but what I've been doing recently to try and deal with that kind of stuff is trying to imagine that I've just been given my mind like almost like I've just been born in this moment mm-hmm. and just been given this mind and this body and whatever like you know, my abilities are and there's no past there's only what like maybe in front of me and what I'm trying to do mm-hmm. and trying to just see how exciting that would be to someone rather than being like oh but this happened when I did that and that person said this and maybe if I'd done that thing then that wouldn't have happened you know and yeah. it's constantly living in hindsight and in the rear view mirror, that it's like, you're not going to go anywhere if you're doing that. You have to just be focused on what's forward and just disconnect from all that stuff. Yeah. But it's totally. hard. Totally, yeah, yeah. So seeing something with really fresh eyes rather than letting the past kind of cloud your yeah. ideas about things or your judgments or experiences. I mean, how do you deal with that kind of stuff? Yeah, well, for me, I, I probably had quite bad anxiety for about 10 years before I got any help for it and I think I was in a bit of denial about I mean I had no idea where it'd come from this anxiety and actually it was only through talking with a therapist and actually recognizing different experiences that I'd had as a child nothing really traumatic but just you know probably like you having a mum that was a bit of a warrior having a bit of kind of uncertainty at home you know and discovering where those things came from was actually quite helpful for me and I think you know, you don't necessarily need to, you know, dig around in the past for ages in therapy to, to make a change. But I think it's interesting to have a think about, you know, that worrying kind of part of me isn't actually me. It's something that I took on board. And the real me is, you know, that, as you said, kind of seeing things with fresh eyes and able fearless. to experience things and much more fearless. And, you know, sometimes it is helpful just to think about, you know, where does that come from? Is that my mum talking? Is that that teacher at school that told me I was never going to be any good at maths 
or, you know, and recognising that it's not the real you. Yeah, and especially I think when we're overexposed to, you know, everyone being able to comment on every single thing we do, that then that becomes a driving force when it really shouldn't. Mm. And you start thinking, what if everyone says like negative stuff about it, therefore I don't want to do it. Mm. So there's being mm. able to also like quieten that because, you know, you're never going to please everyone. Yeah, yeah. So you just have to be a bit more in harmony about what makes you happy, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of my favourite quotes that I've been just reminding myself of a lot recently is, um, I'd rather be someone's shot of whiskey than everyone's cup of tea. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> about, you know, not everyone is going to love you. And I think that's hard for us to accept sometimes because often we're people pleasers. We, you know, we want to make everyone happy. We don't want to get that criticism that can be quite painful actually recognizing that and that rejection yeah yeah definitely actually recognizing it's actually okay not to be liked by everyone because some people are going to think you are the most amazing thing ever and you're just going to focus on those people i know i used to find that impossible when people said that i was like but i want to be liked by everyone so Mm. and i never thought that changed but in the last year probably i'm now more okay with not you know you're not going to click with everyone romantically or platonically like you're just not but I think the more at peace you are with yourself and who you are the more you're able to be like that person and I we just didn't click and you just Mm -hmm. kind of move on from it whereas before I I used to be such a people pleaser that I would like mold myself to the people to to please them Mm -hmm. and I do it in relationships and I do it in friendships and then you end up getting completely lost and off your own path because you're not being true to yourself in any way yeah totally so I think yeah it's just about coming back to yourself and remembering the good things that there are about you and just trying to you know forget about the the people that aren't your people and kind of yeah know that you can't please everyone amazing so yeah if anyone wants to find out a bit more about um my work you can head to karma-u.com and I've got a free mp3 there that is a relaxation mp3 that you can put onto your phone, you can listen to it when you're in bed, and it just helps you to switch your brain off and feel a lot calmer. So check it out. All right, thank you so much, Chloe. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for having me. And guys, we'll speak to you soon. Bye. Bye.